Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah. What a privilege it is for me to be here with you today. Joe Phelps, my good friend, thank you for the invitation and your willingness to share your pulpit uh, this morning. I look forward to our discussion this evening. I hope you'll come back at 6 o'clock and we can talk uh, some more about uh, some uh, breaking issues on the church state front that uh, you no doubt have been re- reading about in the papers for the past couple of week, weeks and seeing uh, in the broadcast media and online. Uh, I do bring greetings from the staff of the Baptist Joint Committee, your agency on Capitol Hill working every day to defend and extend religious liberty for all, not just for Baptists, but for all of, all of God's children, and to uh, uphold the importance of that essential constitutional corollary, the separation of church and state, uh, that, is, uh, is, that is necessary to secure religious liberty for all. Uh, I also bring expressions of gratitude from the staff for the many ways in which you support and undergird our, our work, your, your prayers, your words of encouragement, your financial support. Uh, we simply could not do the, the, the ministry that we perform without your good uh, partnership uh, in it and, and your, your incarnational uh, partnership as well. Uh, Terry Phelps, some of you may know, for six years served uh, very ably on uh, the Baptist Joint Committee board, and now uh, Emily, um, Emily, where's Emily? Emily Hall McGee. Oh, there you, you came down. Oh, you're not behind. Me. Yeah, she's my new boss, so I, I, I'm. You know, the pressure's on. She's on, on our board now for the next uh, six years. So I look forward to working uh, in partnership with Highland Baptist Church in that fashion uh, as we go into the future as well. Uh, a reading now from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. So the Sanhedrin called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than than to God, you must judge For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, not long ago we finished celebrating our fourth century of being Baptists together. Since John Smith baptized himself and then a few others in 1609... These early Baptists were in Amsterdam, having fled England to avoid persecution at the hand of King James I, the man whose name appears in some of your Bibles. How ironic that that, that, that so many of us have, have long cherished that Bible translation named for someone who persecuted us in the early days. Yes, we baptizers, so called, were born in a struggle for religious freedom. Well, despite our astonishing diversity and many disagreements on other issues, Baptists have always fought the fight for religious liberty for others as much as for ourselves. We have taken very seriously the liberty for which Christ himself broke the yoke of slavery and set us free. This was our birthright in the early 17th century. Our rallying cry today, and I pray our legacy for centuries from now. 
It's so important that, that we remember our freedom-fighting Baptist founders and, and retell their stories over and over again if our commitment to religious liberty is to remain passionate and vital for the generations to come. God bless Thomas Helwes. After leading a, a, a breakaway group back from Holland to England, thus starting a, another Baptist tradition, church splits, right? <laughs> Helwes came back and established the first Baptist church on English soil. Helwes then authored a, a cutting-edge treatise on, on religious liberty called a, a Short Declaration of the Mystery of Iniquity in 1612 and sent a copy of it off to King James himself. And in his inscription, he wrote the audacious words that you, O king, are a mortal man, not God, and have no authority over the immortal souls of your subjects. Sounds pretty reasonable today, but back then it was revolutionary. And for his trouble, Helwes and his wife Joan were thrown into Newgate pr Prison in London, where they languished and later perished. Hooray for Roger Williams, looking over us from the back window this morning. Called by some the apostle of religious liberty, Williams came from England to Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1631. He preached the notion that, that faith cannot be, cannot be dictated by government authority or by the magistrate, as he, as, he, as he phrased it, but must be nurtured freely and expressed directly to God without any human interference. And he advocated that, quote, hedge or wall of separation between the garden of the church and the wilderness of the world, end quote. Well, the, the Puritan theocrats in Massachusetts were so outraged by this heresy that they kicked Williams out of the colony, and he, he trekked down to what would become Rhode Island and founded Providence because he judged that God's providence had taken him to that very spot and established the first Baptist church on North American soil. We Virginia Baptists love to, to cheer on John Leland, an evangelist preaching in, in the Commonwealth during the heady decade of the 1780s, Leland boldly advocating for religious liberty and the separation of church and state. And he played a, a, a pivotal role in, in convincing James Madison, the father of our Constitution, of the need for a specific guarantee protecting religious freedom in the Bill of Rights. Well, Madison made good on his promise to further ensure the rights of conscience, including those first words in the Bill of Rights that Joe quoted earlier in this hour. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, end quote. And we at the Baptist Joint Committee revere J.M. Dawson, our very first executive director, Dawson was, was instrumental in convincing the United Nations General Assembly in 1948 to adopt the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Article 18 of the Declaration proclaims, quote, the right of freedom of thought and conscience and religion, end quote, as the goal for all humankind around the world.
And that language, that language in the Declaration has informed almost every constitution uh, that has been written over the past 60 plus years around the world. Well, we could name a dozen more heroes if we had time, but you know, it's not just about our heritage or our history, it's also about theology. The freedom that we enjoy is biblically based. You heard Renee read from Genesis chapter 1. The scriptures make, make clear that, that God created us in, in God's image with free will. God's decision to make us uh, in, in, that special, in that special way to relate to him, to have, have freedom of, of choice, is also essential. Our yes to God has meaning has no meaning unless we have the right to tell God no. For that relationship to be genuine, it has to be voluntarily entered into and based on love, not in any way coerced or based on fear. And the New Testament, too. In Galatians 5.1, Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, Yes, Paul was, was railing against attempts by Judaizers to deny freedom through theological and ecclesiastical strictures more than attempts on the part of, of government to, to limit religious liberty. But Paul's clarion call to the Galatians has inspired generations of Baptist Christians to fight for freedom from state-imposed limitations on the exercise of religion. And if Paul issues the call to freedom, Luke gives us a lesson on how that freedom is to be exercised. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel of Christ. And the Sanhedrin, the, the, the high court with civil as well as religious jurisdiction over the internal affairs of, of the country, was clearly threatened by the success of the disciples. And the Sanhedrin, they admonished them not to speak or teach at all anymore in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John repudiated civil authority because it sought to interfere with the proclamation of the gospel whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, Peter and John said. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. The rights of conscience take precedence over the demands of government authority. It's important to point out, however, that this freedom is not unlimited. We are to avoid license as well as legalism. Because Paul continues in the fifth chapter of Galatians, Brothers and sisters, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves one to another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our freedom in, in Christ can never be separated from and must always be limited by the responsibility that we have to each other. 
freedom and responsibility always need to be held in tension. They are, in a real sense, two sides of the same coin. As Baptist journalist Bill Moyers has aptly put it, our Baptist beliefs do not make for lawless anarchy or the religion of lone rangers. They aim for a a community with moral integrity, the wholeness that flows from mutual obligation. Our Our religion is an adventure in freedom, Bill Moyer says, within the bounds of accountability. Isn't that nice? An adventure in freedom within the bounds of accountability one to another. And there is another limitation of sorts on our freedom. Not just responsibility, but the duties we owe to Caesar. Jesus himself affirmed this dual allegiance when he talked about rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And in Romans chapter 13, Paul declares not only allegiance to the state, but he plainly says that the authority of the state is divinely ordained, created by God and put in place for our own good. And if Paul's teachings applied to the the ham-handed Roman rule in the first century, how much more should they apply to us today, living in a robust constitutional democracy Oh, as we celebrate the birth of our nation, we Baptist Christians are reminded that we have a duty to be good citizens too. So yes, sometimes limitations on our freedom legitimately come from the hand of government. What a thing for the executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee to say in church. But the old adage is true. My right to swing my fist ends where? Where your nose begins. The First Amendment freedoms, including no establishment and free exercise, are not absolute. The wall of separation between church and state is not impenetrable. Sometimes it looks more like a chain link fence. You cannot exercise your religion in a way that harms other people. You do not have the free speech right to shout fire in the proverbial crowded theater or under the the press clause to, to publish malicious lies in newspapers even about public figures. Your First Amendment right to to assemble and petition the government for redress of of grievances is subject to reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. And shall we say it all together, more than a year and a half after that terrible day at Sandy Hook School in in Connecticut and a, a dozen more shootings since then, all of this goes for the Second Amendment too. We Baptists, more often than not over the past four centuries, 
have mostly got this right. Not always, but mostly. For example, Article 17 of the Baptist Faith and Message, written in 1925, amended in 1963, succinctly captures the historic Baptist understanding of religious liberty and and the consequent uh, proper relationship between church and state. And in rapid-fire, staccato fashion, it says this, God alone is Lord of conscience. Church and state should be separate. The state owes every religion protection and full freedom in the pursuit of spiritual ends. In providing for such freedom, no denomination should be favored by the state more than others. The church should not resort to, the, to civil power to carry on its work. The state has no right to impose penalties for religious opinions of any kind. The state has no right to impose taxes for the support uh, of, of any form of religion. A free church in a free state is the Christian ideal, end quote. Well, thankfully, the Southern Baptist Convention a decade and a half ago did not tamper with this article when it took a meat axe to so many others. But today, these lofty principles are often observed as much in the breach as in the following. Not, by, not just by a bunch of Baptists, but by the culture at large. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I really do love living and working in Washington, D.C., and I, I even do not mind my drive to and from work. About 20, 25 minutes, not too bad. And after 25 years, I have yet to become jaded. As, as I drive in the morning down Constitution Avenue and look to my, to my right, the uh, Lincoln Memorial, and then a little bit further down the White House, and then further on Constitu- Constitution Avenue, the Washington Monument, and then on up, up, up to Capitol Hill and up past the Dome, uh, and then to the offices of the Baptist Joint Committee just across the street from the United States Supreme Court building. And one thing that always captures my attention is the fact that the longest lines you see uh, for tourists and others, any place in town, including the, the very popular Smithsonian's, is in front of the National Archives there on Constitution. Who's been to the National Archives? Yeah, oh gosh, yeah, you know what I'm, what I'm talking about. I hope your line wasn't too long, but they're long now. It's a huge line, often wrapping around the building uh, to see the... the uh, original documents of our nation's founding, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the the Bill of Rights. And I think when I see that, how strange it is that the archives are so popular when so many people in our country either take our freedoms for granted or don't know much about them, or some think we have too much freedom For example, one in four of the American public, uh, only one in four of the American public, knows that religious freedom is protected in the First Amendment. And and, and you'll love this. A recent study showed that more people can name all five of the Simpsons than can name the five freedoms ensured in in the First Amendment. Can Can you name them? I mean the Simpsons. I know you, I know you can name the first five freedoms. But 
Homer, Marge, Barton, Lisa, Maggie, yeah. I know you can name the five freedoms in the First Amendment. I just reminded you of them ten minutes ago. Uh, about half of the American public thinks that the separation of church and state is a bogus concept or think that to the extent it's valid, it's been applied too rigorously by our courts. About 20% would like to set up an official national church for everybody to follow. Theirs, of course, nobody wants a theocracy of somebody else's religion. My predecessor, James Dunn, used to say, Trouble with theocrats is they all want to be Theo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. And there's a lot of them out there. Well, the Baptist Joint Committee has its work cut out for it. We're equal to the task as we continue to educate about our tradition of religious freedom and apply that heritage to the crowded intersection of church and state in contemporary American life. We work hard to ensure that government maintains a healthy distance from religion. The theological principle of soul freedom, that, that, that God-infused liberty of conscience that Roger Williams and so many others have talked about over the years, and its, its ethical expression in society, religious liberty for all, are protected by the constitutional constructs of no establishment and free exercise in the First Amendment. And these twin pillars of our constitutional architecture require that government neither help nor hurt religion. We don't do either one of those things. We want government to be neutral towards religion, turning it loose, allowing it to flourish or, or founder on its own. In other words, government should accommodate religion but without advancing it, protect religion but without promoting it, lift burdens on the exercise of religion without extending religion an impermissible benefit. So how do we at the Baptist Joint Committee, day in and day out, filing briefs in the Supreme Court, lobbying Congress, working with the administration, doing education, outreach. How do we balance those, those dyads out? Well, for example, we support voluntary student prayer in the public schools, but oppose prayers delivered to a captive audience by a state actor like a teacher or a principal in the schools. We support efforts to teach about religion in the public schools, but deny the right of public school officials to read the Bible devotionally or to lead in religious worship, particularly in the classroom. We applaud tax exemption for religious and other nonprofit organizations, but reject vouchers and other forms of governmental financial aid to support the teaching of religion. We recognize the, the obligation of churches and other religious bodies to serve the poor, but dispute the propriety of subsidizing those ministries with government funds. We understand government 
may require churches to, to comply with reasonable building and safety codes. I don't know if you had any trouble with that, with our, the new addition. Very nice, by the way. Um, uh, reasonable building and safety codes, but reject attempts by zoning officials to micromanage church ministries. We believe in, in exemptions for churches and accommodation for religiously affiliated groups that oppose contraception, but in a way that makes coverage available through insurance for opting in employees. We accept the responsibility of government to ensure the civil rights of all of its citizens while defending the autonomy of houses of worship to govern their internal affairs differently. And on and on we could go with examples of how we balance these dyads. In short, every, every establishment clause no we utter to keep government from promoting religion should be accompanied by a free exercise yes to ensure the rights of citizens to practice, in a, practice their religion in accordance with the dictates of conscience. Dean Kelly, the, the great Methodist pastor and religious liberty advocate of a generation ago, with whom I, I had the privilege of working in my early days in Washington, he's since passed away. But Dean Kelly used to say, government may and sometimes must get out of the way of religion, but it should never ever try to get behind and push. It's kind of a nice way to think about it, it seems to me. Government may and sometimes must get out of the way, clear out the way for religion, but it should never try to get behind and push. You know, the best thing government can do for religion is simply to leave it alone. Eternal vigilance over government by the Baptist Joint Committee and all freedom-loving Baptists is the best way I know of to honor our Baptist heritage of religious freedom and to pass it on to the generations to come. May it be so for another 400 years and more.